Malta was once a hidden gem in the Mediterranean, but now it's being discovered more and more by North Americans. And that means it's diverse and offers something for everyone. You can scuba dive to explore sunken ships, eat traditional Maltese foods like pastizzi, a flaky pastry filled with ricotta cheese, visit one of three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and so much more. Plus, Malta gets more than 300 days of sunshine, so it's a year-round destination. Get inspired and plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. I'm sorry, I got very sunburned yesterday, so I think I, I, I feel like I look slightly. I look sort of like Freddy Krueger after 20 minutes of makeup. So I'd like I apologize. I'm not seeing it; just a healthy glow, a healthy yes. summer glow. Right. <laughs> I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. And this week, we're turning up the heat on everyone's favorite topic: summer travel. Whether you've been planning for months or you've barely scratched the surface, we are here for you. I spoke with the two editors who comprise our mighty destination team here at Afar, as well as the freelance writer who handles our monthly Where to Go columns. They share tips on how to make your dollar go far this summer, where to go in Europe to escape the heat and crowds, how to deal with the hell that is flying, and so much more. I mean, I'm kidding about the flying, it's not that bad. But make sure you get that TSA pre-check. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome everyone to Unpacked. I thought we could start by going around and introducing ourselves, explaining our relationship to Afar and where we're calling in from today because we have some people or a person in an exceptional location. Anyone want to kick it off? Of course, I'm Mark Elwood. I work for Afar every month. I try and find you the best places to go for that month <laughs> around the world. And I'm actually doing some in-person research for that kind of work right now. I'm in Baja, okay. California for the first time, kind of running around the four capes to try and understand what the different cabos are rather than them all getting lumped together. So I feel very lucky. I'm eating way too much Mexican food <laughs> and it's a little too early to have tequila, but not quite. Like, I'm <laughs> Wait, did you have tequila before we started this? That's the real question. <laughs> I'm not really no. on vacation. If I was on vacation, I might have had a breakfast margarita. But uh-huh. who is who is judging? Not us. <laughs> well, great. That sounds amazing. Hour long session. So I hope you've got one within reach at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we have the illustrious Chloe Arohado. Yeah, um, definitely not as an adventurous place. I'm with my parents right now in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so kind of the southeast of the United States. I've been with Afar for just over a year now, and I'm the associate editor of Destinations. Nice. And finally, we have Tim Chester. Yeah, I'm a deputy editor at Far. I'm based in Southern California, so a city called Thousand Oaks, just north of L.A., and I've been with Afar for coming up for five years next month. Wow, five years. Amazing. You are our mighty destination team here. <laughs> I guess I should say I'm Aislinn. I am the Associate Director of Podcasts here at Afar, and I am calling in from sunny Sausalito. There are geese honking in the background, and I hope they don't interrupt this. Okay, so on a personal level, where are you all at in terms of your summer travel planning? Are we in summer right now? Not really, right? We're got to wait till June. <laughs> I thought it was Memorial Day to Labor Day. 
Is that summer? Do you see, this is Tim, I get very anxious about this because I'm a planner. So it, I just feel like it's, I feel like the minute it gets warm, it's summer and I should be thinking about where I'm going and when, and I still haven't booked it. And I think we're going to touch on this. I, when you look at the airfares, especially to Europe, which is a lovely sort of Mediterranean summer getaway, they are so eye-watering. I keep assuming that if I just refresh it and refresh it, tomorrow they'll magically change. And so I think I'm in this paralysis of planning, which I think we're probably going to touch on. Yeah, absolutely. How about you guys, Tim, Chloe? Yeah, I can definitely share uh, where I am with the summer travel planning because I'm kind of the opposite of Mark, where (laughs) I am not a planner. (laughs) So I'm right now just starting discussion with my friends about trips from mid to end June. So I'm I'm the refresher and the hoper that the prices will go down. So, you know, I really like to wait until the last minute for my trips. I know for sure I'm going to go to New York for maybe a week or two in early June, but we're thinking somewhere in Mexico for mid to end June. Pray for me, Mark. If you have any (laughs) wisdom to bestow upon me, (laughs) that would be great. It's interesting because the Mexico flight prices are are staggeringly affordable. Mm. I played around with my prices and I ended up booking my flight from New York to Baja on the nonstop direct JetBlue for 500 bucks two weeks out, which Mm. was remarkable. You look Mm -hmm. at anything to Europe, even London, which is always the cheapest starting point, and it's triple what you expect to be. So, yes, go to Mexico. And then when you get here, the weather's perfect. Well, you know, it's not too late for me. There's still some hope to get some good priced deals on these flights. (laughs) Yeah, regarding what you were saying, Mark, our uh, travel news editor, Michelle Barron, spoke to Katie Nastro at Going.com about when to buy a flight and Goldilocks window, the time period that's not too early, but not too late. That's when the opportunity for a cheap flight to pop up is at its greatest. And the advice from her was for domestic flights, but between one to three months before departure or three to seven out for a peak summer travel season, which would have been a few months ago, I guess. So uh, <laughs> much use this year. And then for international flights, two to eight months out for off-peak travel and four to 10 for peak. I will say, if you are caught short, one of the big tips, and both Tim and I obviously don't, are not natively from America, so this is more familiar <laughs> for us. In Europe, buying packages is very commonplace. So in other words, you buy the flight and accommodation together. Uh-huh. It's a much less automatic reaction from Americans. And that means that the little tab on airlines' websites, which says it's vacations with double A or whatever, Delta vacations, click on that and look at the flight and hotel packages together because it's a quirk of the way that seats are priced, but the seats that are allocated to the hotel space that they have confirmed do not rise in price in the same way as the other seats on the plane. So when you are buying last minute tickets at peak season, you may find that even if you don't need the accommodation, that it's cheaper than a flight alone. And it's a great sideways if you're thinking, gosh, how the heck am I getting an affordable flight? You'd be very surprised what little secrets lie there. Well, I would have not thought about that because I feel like anytime I see anything about this bundle deal between a hotel and a flight, I just automatically assume that it is going to be more expensive than if I did it myself independently. Because, you know, of course, if I was to have it an easier time (laughs) booking all of these things, why would it be cheaper? That's really interesting because I have this reaction where Expedia always takes me to flights plus hotel and I always just click I just want a flight I don't want a hotel 
So it's interesting. I never thought about that. I would encourage you to remember also, do it through the airlines for lots and lots of reasons, but do it through the airlines. Well, I was also going to ask about like the deals that you've gotten. That's a great question. I have sent people, it's especially things like Thanksgiving, when, when people are flying home for Thanksgiving, one of the great hacks, or flying home over July 4th, remember, if you don't need the hotel room, but you need to get there, uh-huh. It doesn't matter if you don't use the hotel room. And frankly, you could use one of the resale apps to resell your hotel room so that you might end up offsetting the price of your flight. You're not going to get full whack for the ADR of that hotel room, but you are legally allowed to resell an, an unrefundable room. And that might offset the price you paid as well. So think about that. That's a great hat. Great tip. Because I, I think I'm like Tim and Chloe. I've always been like, if it's a bundle, run away from that. <laughs> Tim, did you want to share anything about your own summer travel planning? Well, I have two things booked. One is Legoland for a birthday. <laughs> uh, and the other one is um, just a f- big family get together for the fourth in Cambria on the central coast, which is one of my favorite spots. Little town equidistant between San Francisco and Los Angeles and a couple of thousand people. They call it where the pines meet the sea. And it's just a beautiful spot on the central coast. Yeah, I mean, we may go to Mexico, but I'm not into the planning of that yet. We tend to get trapped by summer camp and, you know, we tend to travel out of summer. So, Yeah, yeah, right. There's a lot of reasons that people don't end up traveling in the summer or maybe travel during the kind of shoulder season, which I know we'll get to later. I wanted to pivot to our Where to Go series. And Mark, you write stories for us each month about where travelers should go next. And I think the most recent one was July. And I think August is coming up next. What are your recommendations right now? So I would say one of the one of the places to think about going for summer, and, and not just because I'm biased, is the UK, largely because the pound is so weak against any other currency you could name. If you've always wanted to go to the UK and worried about expense, right now you're getting about a buck. It's it's about a buck twenty-five to the pound. When I first moved to America 20 years ago, you were nudging $2 to the pound. So I would say if you've ever wanted to go to the UK, you could go to the Edinburgh Festival in Scotland in August, and you're going to get the best bang for your buck you will have done for years and years. Um, I'd also send you a long other way down under because the Women's World Cup is being played across both of the major Antipodean nations. So you're getting New Zealand and Sydney. Go to Sydney if you want to be there. The big World Cup final is in Sydney on August 20th. I will warn you, Sydney in August, I've been in Sydney in August, and it can be a bit wet and it's not a city that knows how to cope with rain. I know Southern Californians will be like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, So just be prepared for Sydney to be, Sydney's mood dampens a little when it rains because everyone is just a bit bummed they can't be sitting outside. Mark, I'm curious what you think about visiting places during big festival season versus when there isn't an influx of people. For example, I much prefer New Orleans when it's not Mardi Gras. But Edinburgh, I think, especially in August, there's like several festivals happening. You've got the book festival, the comedy festival, the theatre festival, and it's just such a fun time to be there. See, I think you've identified, I think if you boil that down, I would never go to a place where the festival is based on booze, because I think then it's just (laughs) sloppy and messy. 
You go to the Edinburgh Festival, and sure, you're going to have a glass of wine at a, at a comedy show. But the, the, the raison d'etre of being there is not to try and not remember the trip. And I think the problem <laughs> is that Mardi Gras, some of those events, and I, I've been to, I don't know if you've been to Edinburgh during the festival, it's very different. But it is also super exciting because it brings talents from around the world often at reasonably affordable rates. And you never know who you could stumble on. It's that chance to be at, you know, Taylor Swift's first gig when she was 14, just because you lived in Nashville. The Edinburgh Festival brings comics from around the world. And you might get to see someone who in 20 years time, people are like, you are at their first show. That's insane. Yeah. So that's another appeal. I went to Edinburgh for Rough Guides years ago. And for one night, I just decided to say yes to every flyer and every every person on the street who approached me about their show. And it's the kind of place you can do that and have a good night. Very cool. Anything else anyone would like to add about kind of where to go the summer, July, August, places that you're particularly excited about from our list? Yeah, for Where to Go July, we're spotlighting Idaho as one of our places. And I've been a long believer in the beauty of Idaho in the summertime. I think I even like talked about this when I was applying for this job at Afar, about hot spring <laughs> opportunities in Idaho. So it's such a great place to road trip. And, you know, there's a lot of crowdsourced resources if you want to find the great hot springs wherever you are in Idaho, but a lot of times it's kind of asking around, seeing what the locals think and getting directions to these kind of places that you wouldn't have otherwise come across. And Chloe, can I say, I'm sure we have listeners from Idaho, Boise is one of my favorite overlooked places in all of America. I think it's used by people on the East Coast as a sort of shorthand for the middle of Nowheresville. Mm -hmm. And I went to Boise on assignment and was staggered by this amazing college town, really cyclable, easy hikes nearby, enormous Basque population. Albertsons has a Basque section, there's a Basque neighborhood. It was one of the most eclectic, interesting, unexpected finds. So I think Idaho is one of those states that sort of punches above its weight and is very unfairly overlooked. So I think Chloe and I are both voting. We're voting, voting like Team Idaho. I grew up in Washington and we would actually road trip to Idaho every summer and go camping like in Coeur d'Alene and we loved it. This podcast is sponsored by the Idaho Tourism yeah. Board. <laughs> Exactly. We really should confess that now, right? That we're getting a little backhanded. <laughs> Regarding the Basque communities, are there the little, the little Basque tapas? Oh, yeah, like pinchos. Pinchos, yeah. It is everything, including red wine and Coca-Cola, which is a big Basque drink. And I'm not a big fan of it either. So putting it together was, was worse than Tom Hanks and his, his champagne and Diet Coke. But the you can go to multiple restaurants that are age old and the Basque community there dates back to the big immigrant waves of the late 19th century. And the historian there said to me, the shorthand is basically Basque people don't scan as ethnically Southern European. So they escaped some of the racism that other Mediterranean immigrants did. So they were able to head further West, but they also speak a language that is not Indo-European. So learning English was much harder and they ended up working in shepherding, which is not traditionally a Basque role, but that's a solitary task. And so Idaho was a place that there was a lot of sheep herding. And they randomly ended up there and created this remarkable enclave in a very unexpected place. Very cool. 
Well, pivoting away from the United States for a moment. So Europe, which we talked about a bit earlier, does tend to be a big summer destination, especially for American travelers. Last year, in recent years, we've heard the news about the big heat waves. Some people have experienced them. What are your thoughts on traveling to Europe during the summer months now? I will say, I think the mistake we make is when we picture Europe in the summer, we picture the Mediterranean. And Europe is very big. And a great travel specialist I know who's based in Italy, she said, I can't get enough people into Iceland for the summer because whatever happens to the weather in the Med, Iceland will very likely not be quite so intolerable. And the Nordics, the UK, Iceland, Northern Europe, as Southern Europe boils, Northern Europe is very pleasant. And so don't forget that you can just shift a little further north. But again, I'm British, so I would say that. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to wait until the Brits speak before I maybe give a (laughs) controversial opinion. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, do you want to wade into the argument? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Mark, I remember last year you recommended the French Riviera, I think, for July. And I presumably would stand by that for this year. Again, can be hot. My uh, mum used to run a bed and breakfast down there in um, a town called Flyosk and spent many summers in the interior and a place called Le Gorge de Verdun, which is a beautiful canyon for swimming and pedalos and waterfalls. So I miss going to that area. I recommend that area. It seems to me I wouldn't, If I mean, I'm tied with kid holiday now. I have school holidays to go with, but um, I can't see why you would go to Europe if you, unless you have to in the summer, go in the spring or the autumn. I mean, the the hotter parts, especially. I mean, also for the crowds reason, right? Like, that's why I have typically avoided, you know, like at least the really big destinations in the summer months, just because I feel like they do tend to get a bit overrun. Mark, you mentioned that Iceland is a great destination, but if people want to escape the crowds, are there some lesser known destinations that you might recommend? I have a soft spot for Slovenia as an alternative to Croatia. It has about 30 miles of coastline, Adriatic, North Adriatic. Tiny, but very pretty port town, Piran there, and some good wines. And I didn't get to Lake Bled, but obviously, you know, that's a big one. Yeah, Slovenia would be my pick. Have either of you been there? No, but I've written a lot about it, and I'm trying to put a trip together because I'm fascinated by its marketing because it, it straddles in that fascinating way. It markets itself a bit as middle European, that sort of, Austrian charm. And then the idea that, yes, it might be a tiny strip of coast, but it's sort of Mediterranean. And I'm fascinated to see the way that culture kind of manifests because coastal Croatia and interior Croatia are so drastically different. And I'm interested to see that. Yeah, I know you put it down for a where to go next Europe pick. But I guess before I talk about my interest, Mark, I kind of want to hear your opinion about Malta because you felt so strongly about it. I just want to know what is what's the, the backstory? Can you tell us the backstory of this really quickly? Before? I'm obsessed with Malta. I stumbled on Malta because I was on a cruise. I was on a Silver Seas cruise in the summer last uh, last August, and Malta was a curious box check. I thought it was going to be like many still British English speaking cultures, a little unappealing egg and chips in the sunshine, sort of a bad version of Britain. And the ignorance of that kind of staggered me because when I got there, Malta is this fascinating collision of Arab culture, Sicilian culture, British culture, that has sat at the fulcrum of the the Mediterranean for millennia and has been important to everybody. One of the oldest human 
excavations, one of the oldest evidence of human habitation anywhere in Europe is the Hypogeum in Malta, which only 80 people can go into every day. And it was carved out in the Stone Age using stone equipment from the limestone. They didn't even have tools. But you've got this incredible history, and then Malta is coming in. There's a new contemporary art museum opening. There are three or four new hotels opening. There's a real effort to upgrade its tourism because historically it was very much older British people going on package holidays. And it's such a pity to miss the chance to see Valletta, which was built almost overnight as a defensive effort by the Knights of Malta. So it has a uniformity of architecture that is Ottoman meets Venetian, and it was built as a grid, so it air conditions. So even in August, when you're standing in central Valletta, the beach breezes whiz through the town, and you aren't sweltering, quite the reverse. You're really quite cool. And it is the most, it's the most interesting, eccentric, slightly hard to pin down place. Now in summer, it is boiling hot. So I wouldn't go in August, I'd go in September. I would add it as a summer destination, sort of edge of the season, because it's outdoorsy and gorgeous and the rock beaches, no sandy beaches. So, you know, take take water shoes. But gosh, the water is like Belize or the Maldives. And also sponsored by the Maltese Tourism Board. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a lot of sponsors for this episode. I guess for my pick for European destinations that may not be as hugely hit, speaking from my experience, I lived for, you know, eight or nine months in Logroño, which is kind of below the Basque region in northern Spain. So I'm very much used to the red wine and cola mixture (laughs) that they like to to drink over there. Yes, it's called Calimocho. And, you know, I, I really like it. Maybe because I'm, I'm a big fan of both. <laughs> what is like about it? I, I mean, anyone listening, please tweet at us. Does anyone agree with me? We'll send out a poll. What is there to like about red wine and Coca-Cola? <laughs> I think it's just sweetness, caffeine? bubbliness. Yeah, caffeine. There are just so many different Keeps things awake? to like I don't about know. it. Maybe it's a bit of nostalgia that's hitting me. But I feel like a lot of people, you know, who go through northern Spain, they're always there to do the El Camino and, mm. you know, just to hit those spaces. But I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about northern Spain and just exploring that region, especially since there are so many smaller cities um, that you can find. And the scenery is just gorgeous. Wow. Great suggestion. Tim, I wanted to briefly return to what you were saying about traveling in the shoulder season. For those who may not have booked summer travel plans yet and have the flexibility, September could be a great time to go. Do you want to add anything about shoulder season travel? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we may have covered this in the Where to Go podcast, but Yellowstone always sticks out in my mind. The visitor numbers there, it's like a million people in July or August and something like 70,000 in February. Obviously, it's completely different, covered in snow and there's some roads closed, but a very different experience in the summertime. Yellowstone tends to be like a big road tripping destination. And of course, summer road trip, right? They were made for one another. Any thoughts about good road trip destinations, either within the United States or elsewhere international? My favorite road trip is in Italy. I spent a lot of my childhood in Italy. I worked in Italy. Um, If you go north from Venice, you end up in the Veneto. And that's where all of the Prosecco in the world comes from. 
and all of the vineyards are on one road between two towns, Corneliano and Valdobbiadre. And you can drive along the Prosecco Road. It is very well signposted. And you go to these little vineyards, most of which are just old family run, and you knock on the door of a barn and some Italian guy comes out and pours you some Prosecco and then you buy a couple of bottles. He speaks no English. It doesn't matter. It is the loveliest scenery to do any time of the year. I've done it in the winter. I've done it in the summer. But it is the antithesis of those congested roads in southern Italy on the Amalfi Coast where you just think, this is L.A. traffic, but with uh, uh, Italian scenery. <laughs> Go to the Prosecco Road. Love that. Yeah, and uh, we recently had a piece on the site about that whole region from uh, writer Devora Levtov, and um, I didn't realize it was made a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2019. As it should be. It should have been a UNESCO <laughs> World Heritage Site decades ago, because when you go, it is just the most charming. I think when you go to Napa and Sonoma, even Sonoma, the the sense of professionalism in some ways is a little disappointing. And in the best possible way, most of Prosecco feels very unprofessional. (laughs) (laughs) Mixing alcohol with trips. There it is again. (laughs) If you go to the Outer Grill, if you, I don't know if you haven't driven in Italy, but if you go to the Outer Grill in Italy, there is, there are amazing roadside service stations, best food on any, any roadside, but there's a beer tap. The bar has a beer tap. And it just feels counterintuitive that they're really encouraging you to have a beer when you stop from gas. <laughs> yeah. Definitely want to check that out. I guess my opinion was not going to be as controversial because since everyone said no, I was going to agree with that <laughs> in general. <laughs> no, because I also, I think especially with the flight chaos, I just had a friend who came back from this crazy trip that she took throughout Europe. She was hitting a lot of different places and with there were a lot of things different airlines had messed up and so you know she was kind of hopping from one destination to the next and they had lost her luggage at one point and I can't imagine that kind of stress on a vacation Um, but I know that south of France was also something that we talked about on where to go July and we just had a piece come out of all the crazy things that are happening right now in that area like you know like the carlton reopening in march and you know the 50th anniversary of picasso's death there are a whole bunch of different exhibits that are going on so you know to me i guess i'm kind of anti-crowd so i would usually think you know south of france like especially in the craziness of the summertime no but with all of the events going there you know i think i might i might take a trip but i guess a big bigger cities like paris i was when i was backpacking i did not know that everybody like so much of Western Europe was just closed <laughs> July <Yeah. laughs> and August. And so I just remember scouring for a place to eat with my friend in August in Paris and not finding anything except the Buffalo Grill. So, <laughs> Although I will say, Chloe, historically, August has been a great hack to visit Paris because it was when the hotel rates were historically at their lowest. So if you wanted to visit Paris affordably, you might have to forego some of the restaurants, but it was the cheapest time to score accommodation. And it always felt very counterintuitive that what felt like peak season, Paris would always be deserted because the the, the bobos were all on the other day. So I, the prices have gone up a little bit, but, you know, I, Paris, if you want to go to Paris affordably and you're, you're happy to 
there are more restaurants than the Buffalo Grill. There are a few more. <laughs> and you can get a bistro. Yeah, I think there's like some compromises you have to make because I have some friends who are always like, oh, should I wait to go to Paris? Should I go this year? But I'm because they're like with all these protests going on. And then I'm like, well, there's the Olympics next year. So, you know, there's always a compromise to be made. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Like if you want affordability, maybe Paris in August is for you. If you want, you know, less heat and fewer crowds, maybe you go in September, October. Well, any kind of, I know you were talking about Europe, Chloe, but any road trips that come to mind, maybe in your neck of the woods or things you've done that you've really loved? Yeah, I think, you know, domestically, great national parks. Aislinn, you'd probably know about this. Um, North Cascades in the summertime, gorgeous turquoise color lakes. I never yeah. seen anything like it. I felt the whole time I was hiking, I thought that I was in the Wizard of Oz because of all of the bright colors. It was so gorgeous. Um, and Tim, kind of to your point about, you know, staying away from the crazy national parks that are super popular. Um, near me, there's the Great Smoky Mountains, which is historically the most visited <laughs> um, national park. But I think there's something to be said about visiting during the summertime. Maybe I'm a little bit biased towards this. But I think because there's the Blue Ridge Parkway that connects Shenandoah and the Great Smoky Mountains, even if, you know, you find that the Great Smoky Mountains are super busy, you know, just driving along the Blue Ridge Parkway, you can come across some incredible hikes along the way or places to camp. Do you think that um, even in the summer, going during the week versus the weekend makes a big difference? Yes, <laughs> I will say absolutely. Because, you know, even though school's out a lot of the time, people still have work. And whenever I've hit that area during the week, it is always such a good time to go. I actually just came yesterday from Cashiers, which is near the border. And during the week, there were so many empty parking lots and, you know, swimming holes that were usually be crowded with people, just like a couple of people. So it was, I would say, go during the week if you can. But during the weekend, you can always find a place to camp. Camping for the win. Tim, how about you? Are there any American road trips that you really love? From LA, you, you can obviously road trip in different directions, but a lot of the routes are not that picturesque. Like driving to the desert is just a freeway. Driving south <laughs> to San Diego isn't great. Going up to Yosemite and so on. But everybody does the famous Highway 1 uh, Big Sur road trip, which is definitely worthwhile. But the one I like is um, it's the 395 up the eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas. So you're going from LA up to Mammoth Lakes. Beautiful high elevation mountain town there for skiing in the winter and lake fun in the summer. But you go past a couple of small towns, Bishop and Lone Pine, and you go past um, Red Rock Canyon State Park, which has these very striking red rocks that you drive through. And then there's a place called Mono Lake up there, which has these calcium carbonate sort of rock spires that come out of the lake and very still water and nobody around. Very interesting place to see. So that that's my slightly less trafficked Southern Californian road trip tip. And the other one was about going at different times of day. Well, yeah, I, I I, mean, this is about summer travel, but I always advocate for traveling between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think most people are just, uh, you know, the holidays at the end of the year. Most people are caught up in the end of year rush. It's, it's a hard time to get away, but the few times I've done it, it seems like nobody else is really traveling at that time. Yeah, you've talked about that. I've never, I've always 
thought that that's a time that I would want to avoid. Uh, so that's a great, I think that's a great tip. It is one of the single best times. One of the reasons Art Basel was put into Miami Beach in early December is because it was such a doldrums time for travel and they <laughs> thought juice it. It's one of Vegas's, it's one of Ve- the cheapest times to go to Vegas is one of my favorite places in the world. Do you want a cheap time to Vegas between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Absolutely. Steve. I think it's a brilliant tip. It's that weird time that people forget you're allowed to take a vacation. And yeah. that's the <laughs> yeah, we, well, one year we went to Aspen and the slopes were fairly empty. Another year, last year we were in Fiji and no one else around where we were. Like I said, hard to take the time off. There's a lot happening at that time of year, but it's worth it. Yeah, I guess that's why it's cheap. People are like mentally preparing <laughs> for the craziness that is going to ensue. <laughs> but I'm always down to talk about Las Vegas. I love that place too. Yeah, but not in the summer, right? Like we're not... <laughs> Do you know, I'd even go in the summer because the really? point is that dry heat, I, you know, I'm British, so obviously I wilt in, in moist heat, but the dry heat in Vegas is fine. And honestly, most of the time in Vegas, you're indoors because you're <laughs> either at a show, you're at the game. T- I mean, I just, I just want to like grind Vegas up into pellets and sort of inject it in my veins. That's my <laughs> and it's quite a nice road trip from LA. I mean, it's interesting the way the, the topography changes and you get up the elevation and um, go past these enormous solar farms a lot of people fly do the short flight but i think it's like five hour drives um not too bad and you've done the ev road trip to la right or uh to vegas yeah i did i did it in an ev yeah i um polestar 2 and um made it in about the same time it would have taken to fly with all the waiting around at airports and i think it was about 45 minutes of charging each on the first on the way out and maybe more like two hours on the way back but (laughs) yeah and it cost me about 18 bucks so oh my god would you do it again in an ev yeah i'm not sure i'd take the kids but uh, i I would definitely take myself (laughs) yeah 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 do you think that vegas is any cheaper in the summer because you had mentioned that's a cheap time to go can you get good deals the challenge with vegas in the summer is that people from Europe flock there. Remember, all the places that we think of as not summer destinations, (laughs) especially British people, the the Virgin and BA flight from London to Vegas is the one that the staff can never get on because it's always booked solid. And all the places that we think, oh, not in the summer, all the crazy Europeans go, oh, Mexico in (laughs) July? That's brilliant. Oh, Vegas in July? And they fill those planes. So I think there is that weird thing you realize that we may not be a market, but long haul is suddenly a market. So Vegas is not not as cheap in July as you assume it will be. Yeah, I assumed it would always be busy with all of like the pool parties going on. <laughs> full, of, full of British people, not caring whether they get burned to a crisp because they're in Vegas in July. Yeah, they have Steve Aoki right in front of them. Why would they care? <laughs> Are you looking for an off-the-beaten-path island destination in the Mediterranean? I highly recommend Malta, an archipelago with 8,000 years of history. It's home to three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, including Valletta, Malta's capital. Malta also has the oldest freestanding stone architecture in the world, showcasing one of the British Empire's most formidable defense systems. If you travel for history, Malta has an impressive mix of domestic, religious, and military structures from the ancient, medieval, and early modern periods. It's also rich in culture, 
You'll find events and festivals all year round, plus beautiful beaches, a thriving nightlife, and a trendy gastronomical scene with seven Michelin-starred restaurants. Plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Well, of course, to get to any of these, we will have to fly. And as you said earlier, Chloe, flying has been a bit of a nightmare recently. Do you have any suggestions for travelers planning to fly this summer? To Tim's point about, yeah, timing flights, obviously going (laughs) specific times, you're going to get better deals when you fly. So, you know, taking an either late night, early morning flight, I know that a lot of people are against it, but it might be worth it considering the crowds, not only beat the crowds, but to also get a better deal. I would say that's kind of my biggest tip. And that's when I just live by year round. I'm very used to crazy hours of flights, but I see it as, you know, jolt of energy, something new to (laughs) (laughs) keep you on your toes. (laughs) So I would build on what Chloe's saying. Remember, if you're flying to Europe and you're looking for a better deal, Google Flights has has a function that I don't think everyone uses as adroitly as we could. You can put in your home airport, and then as a destination, you can put the word Europe. And it will show you the flights to all the nonstop or the connecting flights, whatever you wish, to all the European cities. And you can see what is the cheapest hub to fly to. And then, of course, Europe is covered with budget airlines. So once you work out where you go, check what cheap puddle jumping kind of short haul you can take. But I think when you're worried about prices, do the home airport Europe and you'll get a real sense of where there might be a little slackness in pricing that you can work around. So where would that be if we did that right now? Where are the cheap spots or does that change all the time? Typically, the UK will be the cheapest because it has the densest concentration of transatlantic flights. There's also been a big push, which is very convenient for what we're talking about. London has two airports, as Tim will know. It has Heathrow, which everyone has heard of, and it has Gatwick, which is slightly like, you know, the, the, the character who's brought in at the end of a sitcom when it's really running out of gas and they hope will juice, <laughs> juice the narrative. That sort of Hail Mary. It's that if it were an airport. It's that slightly like, oh, poor Gatwick. But they're trying to make it much more of a long-haul destination. It's where a lot of the cheaper flights from London go from. You will see more flights to Gatwick from America. JetBlue, I believe, serves Gatwick. Delta serves Gatwick and is pricing very affordably to try and siphon people there. So I would look at Gatwick. Especially with airlines like Tap Air Portugal, they have things like Stopover in Lisbon or Porto. So take advantage of those opportunities if your airline offers them. And I will say there's another thing, there's two things technically I would say. It is a great idea to put an air tag in your bag, put a bathing suit, pair of underwear and a t-shirt in your hand luggage. If you're checking something, put an air tag in your bag. It is more than just sort of something nerdy to do. It works. (laughs) And download, there is an amazing flight tracking app called Flighty, F-L-I-G-H-T-Y. You can try it for free. I pay 50 bucks a year for it. Put simply, the airline apps are not built to give you information quickly. (laughs) Flighty was built from the ground up, and the information gets to you faster than any other source. So the key in an issue is to be the first person to know about it so you can get rebooked. So you can, Flighty will 
flag something before anyone else does. It has never let me down. That's great. But does anyone else use the Hopper app for booking or tracking? Should we? Why should we? Tell me. I mean, well, (laughs) you can basically put in your dates of travel. So for example, I have some August dates. I'm going to Colorado for a conference and it will essentially tell you whether to wait or buy, like buy your ticket now or wait. And then it will alert you when prices drop. Um, And they have a bunch of hotels and other kind of discounts in there now. I found it to be pretty helpful. And it's a free app. In your experience, has it does it work pretty well? Yeah, I'm more of a planner. So I'm usually looking like, you know, six to eight months out. And so I like that I don't have to like constantly be paying attention to flights. And it gives you a prediction about like whether Prices are going to kind of rise, drop, etc. The other thing I was just going to share from my former flight attendant mother was that she would always say, take the first flight out if you can, because it's as the day goes on and things go wrong that it's that rollover problem. And so she was a big proponent of the early flights, although, you know, the 6 a.m. flight, not my favorite. Um, But if you want to avoid problems, (laughs) that's often a good one. Given the yeah, potential chaos of summer flying, making sure your TSA pre-check or global entry are up to date or that you have them in the first place are good. After having to run to the front of a line in New Orleans last year, I finally got global entry. And there was a very long wait at the time for six months or so to get the interview. But I used this thing called appointment scanner, which basically just sent me endless texts when people canceled appointments. And I ended up getting a next day appointment to see someone at LAX for the interview. So check that out if you're waiting a long time for global entry. That's great. Yeah, get that TSA pre-check, right? Tim, did you want to add anything else about flying in the summer? Um, No, bring a book. (laughs) You never know how it's going to turn out. (laughs) (laughs) It, It is also, but talking about weather, and I think this is something that's worth thinking about year round. If you do have to take a connecting flight, think about where that connection is happening. If the connection is happening in Chicago in January, you're likelier to deal with weather than if it's happening via Atlanta in January. Conversely, if it's happening in the hurricane belt in August, September, it's probably a little riskier than if it's happening in Chicago. So think about the weather. It's it's one of the things that's behind the Middle Eastern carrier's huge success is that they're able to be hubs for global travel because their weather is so reliable and therefore flights don't get delayed. So think about the weather if you're booking flights to connect, because that will make a difference. Something that I spotted recently was this company called Sensible Weather, which calls itself a climate risk technology company, but it's basically offers a guarantee if weather gets in the way of your trip. It partners with places like AutoCamp, Collective Retreats. So I think we're probably going to see more of that. So it's weather insurance. It's basically weather insurance. So those crazy people who complained when they get to a place, and they're like, well, the trip was terrible. <laughs> say the GM, fix the weather. I think it's more if your trip gets cancelled or not that you just don't like the fact it's raining when you get there. Yeah. I don't like the weather. Please give me a refund. That would be <laughs> That's not going to be a lasting business. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked a bit about deals. Are there any other summer deals that you would recommend or that you've seen out there? I think the key deals, flight deals, you have to change the way you think about this. People are obsessed with getting a cheap flight and not obsessed with thinking about a cheaper trip overall. Don't 
think of your flight as a standalone expense. Think of it as part of your vacation budget. And that's why if you're going to go somewhere and you're worried about prices, go overseas because we the dollar is very, very strong. It's strong against the Turkish lira. Of course, the Turkish political situation is so uncertain. That is a complicated decision to make. Very strong against Turkish lira. It's strong against the euro. It's strong against the pound. It's really strong against the yen. Don't go to Tokyo in July. It'll be wet and horrible and muggy. But yeah, August, September is all right. You know, think about if you're paying more for your flight, you can offset that if you're ending up in a destination where your dollar goes further. And I think rather than just looking for flight deals, think about that a bit. Thinking about summer deals, I think towards destinations, as you know, as Marcus said, thinking about kind of the overall price, you know, last August when I was in Colombia, I thought it was a great destination. I mean, especially, you know, for people who want to travel abroad, maybe, you know, you don't need to go to Europe to experience a beach there. There are plenty of fantastic beaches in Latin America, places to be. Speaking again on Colombia, I was in the Rosario Islands off the coast of Cartagena, and they were just gorgeous. A lot of people go there for day trips and then they go back, but I opted to stay for a couple of nights and it was just wonderful being kind of me and my friends, the only people on this long stretch of sand (laughs) and I didn't have to, you know, pay a crazy amount of money to have a ticket to go over there. So I would say, you know, rethinking the destinations, what experience do you want? And is this the only place I can have said experience? I love that way of thinking, you know, not even necessarily just when it comes to last minute travel, but travel in general. Well, speaking of beaches, um, we should talk a little bit more about them since they're such an iconic summer experience. And maybe Mark, you're particularly well poised to speak to this, but do you have any any beach destinations that you could recommend for the, the summer? Would I send you to Torres Santos where I'm sitting right now? Yes, of course I would. <laughs> Although it is much breezier. And I think I think it's actually worth remembering a lot of the resorts, for example, in Torres Santos are adults only because the riptides in the water are rather risky to have young kids on the beach. And I think that's one of the things people don't check when you check a beach destination, especially if you're traveling with kids, how family-friendly the waters are. Because that can make a big difference to how stressed you are if your kids are kind of wandering in the water. So I would say that. I I spent my uh, my summers as a kid in Italy at on the coast of Tuscany. And the coast of Tuscany has beaches that are as broad as the Jersey shores, wide swathes of golden sand, private beach clubs. But they're not cheap, but they mean that everything is clean. There's a bathroom. You can get an espresso. And they're very family friendly. So you've got little kids. They can play in the kids club. You've got teenagers. They play ping pong with the local teenagers who are hanging out there. And I think Italy's, the, the Tuscan coast is very overlooked because everyone is obsessed with the pebbly beaches in Amalfi, the pebbly beaches or everywhere else. So if I was going to the Mediterranean beach, that's where I'd send people. Pebbles are overrated. Yeah, got it. <laughs> it's not, who can build a sandcastle out of pebbles? When you're on a beach, you want to be building a sandcastle of some kind. Yeah, that reminds me of burying a friend in on Brighton Beach, and pebbles, oh. it's not a nice experience. <laughs> no, no in pebbles. that sounds terrible. <laughs> Did you like this friend? This feels I, like a, this <laughs> like something you do to someone you don't really want. To say well, we were students, so it's student friend. student friendship. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are my, you still my, friends? That's the no. Uh, we're not, but that's just, that's by the by. It's a long time ago. My favorite beach I've been to was back in Fiji on um, the south coast of Viti uh, Levu. I stayed at a place called Nanuku Resort, and it was during that period of when I mentioned between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. There's no, there's not really much development. There's a few hotels along that south coast, and Nanuku has its own beachside development and then they have a parcel of land that hasn't been developed so when you go in the water and look back at the view there's just nothing there just trees and you know there's no umbrellas other people and we had there are about four or five guests there with us when we were there and it's 500 acre property so it was like truly no one else around you know no boats nothing And, and they have a reef right there for snorkeling they have a private island you can take a boat and there's another reef there how did you fly to Fiji, Tim? Because I, I think for the West Coast, it's a really smart idea. It's not as far as mm-hmm. it is for those of us who are on the East. Was it easy to get there? And Fiji is about 19 or 20 hours ahead of LA, right? It is. It's an overnight flight both ways. So you arrive at similar kind of time of day. So you don't get jet lag, but you lose a day. So, you know, you leave on a Tuesday, you get there on a Thursday, and then you come back and you arrive on the same day having had an overnight flight (laughs) so i was away for seven nights but i only got five nights at the hotel so the overnight both ways was you know a shame but um it was easy it was like 10 or 11 hours direct and then two or three hour transfer in a car when we got there so yeah it's not as easy as hawaii from the west coast but where i went much less developed yeah I was going to quickly plug, since I am from Washington, Olympic National Park is actually great in the summer and there's wonderful beaches there. Nia Bay is like one of the kind of northernmost points and it's gorgeous. Like you kind of trek to get out there, but yeah, Olympic National Park road trip and then beach time is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the beaches must be gorgeous there. I think for my pick, Puerto Rico is an amazing beach destination. But yeah, those waters off of San Juan mm. can be pretty gnarly, especially with all the riptides. But what's kind of special about Puerto Rico is that because you're going to have to rent a car to explore a lot of the island anyways, there's mm-hmm. so many beaches along the north coast that are just gorgeous, like Luquillo, where the kind of waves are just so gentle. And then Rincon, which is known as a surfing destination, but that's in the wintertime. So in the summertime, you get a lot more relaxed waves, which sucks for surfers. But if you are like me, who (laughs) is not exactly the best on a surfboard, you know, you will find it to be a nice kind of surprise to be like, oh my God, I was expecting to be like world-class surfing. And you're just like, oh, this is just families hanging out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone been to Tofino in the summer? I was just wondering, I know that's such like a classic, I haven't either, so I was just throwing it out there, but okay. <laughs> Every time we think we're well-traveled, there's always gaps. Right? That's half the joy. Isn't yeah, that's oh, half yeah. the joy. Yeah. Maybe it's most of the joy. <laughs> we'll never run out of places. Well, last question, and we did touch on this earlier, but for procrastinators, say you end up, it's midsummer, you haven't booked anything, any tips on how to still have a, you know, fun and not horribly expensive summer vacation? Oh, well, I can definitely start us off as the (laughs) the resident last minute planner booker. Well, I think the biggest is mindset when it comes to, you know, doing a lot of last minute trips. It can be hard because you want to go to like a far flung place. But I think definitely considering something like a road trip or something more accessible or even doing like a different type of like more slow travel. Because if you want to go to a destination kind of last minute, it can be just so hectic to plan this crazy experience. Whereas 
from my experience, it's been easier to be like, okay, let's set up a base point. Where do we want to be in like a place where we could have like multiple day trips from mm. and then mm-hmm. pick from there and obviously going somewhere closer you're going to probably get a better deal if you're looking at it in terms of budget but for me I think it's definitely trying to be less ambitious and be more open Mm -hmm. to opportunity and you know for a little bit of spontaneity to kind of take it away Mark is right now like oh my god spontaneity why (laughs) you're just making me anxious even mentioning the word like when it comes to travel I'm I'm losing sleep over the fact my summer stuff isn't sorted out and it's three months away. So I just, well, no, I just can't. I just can't. But see, that's like kind of nice about getting, you know, one base and then you're like, okay, maybe like a day trip here, day trip here. But yeah. if you're in just one place where there are a lot of different things you want to do there, at least you know for sure you will have a good time. It's just my advice to any fellow last minute planners out there. <laughs> love it but it's also i will say it's about i think the point you make it chloe you have to be cheap and flexible simultaneously you can't be cheap and inflexible so if you're looking for a deal there will always be something yeah if you've left it to the last minute you can't say i want to stay at this hotel in rome on this date and i want it to be the cheapest price possible you're going to have to follow where the cheapness is and embrace that <laughs> i feel like you just still you just stilled it greatly <laughs> and i will say many good adventures have come from like following the cheapness <laughs> but also many other crazy incidents so i will still <laughs> that's another podcast episode exactly <laughs> follow the cheapness <laughs> maybe just stay closer to home if you're procrastinating i, I mean it's easy yeah. for me to say in california but um, I feel like you're one of the best at doing like the local California trips, Tim. You're always somewhere new. <laughs> Any yeah, yeah. other favorites? Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, all sorts. I mean, um, Santa Barbara is a really nice city. Mm, yeah. um, inland, the Santa Ines wine region, um, all the little towns there like Los Olivos. Um, I love the Channel Islands National Park, which is just an hour off the coast from Ventura, which is just north of us couple of mountain towns, Big Bear, Lake Arrowhead. Yeah, there's a lot. That's one of the best things about LA is that there's a lot within two or three hours, a lot of variety. Yeah. Mark, what about going somewhere where it's winter in our summer? That's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Have we got any of those in our where to go monthly roundups? We've got Queenstown and it's interesting. I was just in New Zealand, obviously where it was, where it was fall. And Queenstown in July, there's a great Maori festival celebration. And of course it, it's a winter sports destination. So when you go down under and you're in the South Island of New Zealand, it's at its prime in July and August. Yeah. And Queenstown is a pricey place to go, but there are plenty of alternatives. If I'm not super outdoorsy, but if you are, if you are outdoorsy, New Zealand is like a spiritual home. You get there and yeah. everybody is like, shall we put some crampons on and go for a <laughs> climb? And I just say, I'd rather have a martini. But everyone else. Oh my God, Mark, we need to travel together. I feel like you're just speaking my language. We'll we'll have a martini. We'll be like, you know what? You let me know when you finish your walk and I'll I'll make a second martini. I'll have another one with you when you get back. Mm, I think I'll join you two. Anything else you'd like to add about summer travel? Don't be put off. I think that we've, I think a lot of it has been us sort of talking about the the pains and yes there are more people traveling than ever and yes it feels more expensive but gosh when you get there you are going to forget all of the hassles all of the costs there's going to be a moment where it feels 
like it was the best thing ever to do. So don't be put off by how intimidating the planning might feel. Hopefully we've inspired you as much as intimidated you. And, you know, every trip is worth it. Every trip. Well, I agree with Mark. Don't let the stress of planning or any other logistical hangups turn you off from traveling this summer. There are many adventures to be had. In fact, I'm likely drinking wine in Eastern France at the very moment you're listening to this. I'll actually be sharing my story of traveling along the Valais de la Gastronomie on our sister podcast, Travel Tales by Afar. Season 4 debuts in September 2023, so make sure you follow the show for updates and to catch up on previous episodes. We'll link to it in our show notes. We covered a lot in this episode, so we'll also link to our distilled tips on traveling this summer, as well as to several other resources about how to score flight deals, vacation rentals, and more. And we'll link to Mark's stories about where to go in July and August, as well as to his broader where to go this summer roundups. If you want to read more from Mark, visit mark-elwood.com or follow him on Instagram at markelwood. You can find Chloe on Instagram at heycloquet and Tim at Tim Chester. Happy summer travels. Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Email us at unpacked@afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Gollin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it. <laughs>